The first funeral I ever went to was for the father of one of my classmates, Ken Thorpe. We were both only 10 years old at the time, and I remember watching Ken during the service and thinking how sad he looked, and wondering whether I'd be so affected if our roles were reversed. Don't get me wrong, I was very fond of my dad, but I kind of thought of him like a stray cat. Interesting to have around, but he never really belonged. Dad always struck me as a single man who inexplicably found himself surrounded by a bunch of children he'd somehow fathered. Even his mother had berated my mum for having so many kids and leaving her son with little funds to spend on his gambling. So I was fascinated to hear how comedian Greg Fleet coped with the unexpected departure of his dad and what it revealed about the real man within. Welcome to My Fucked Up Family. Greg Fleet, welcome to My Fucked Up Family. Um, it's, uh, it's a joy to know that there is a, there's enough people out there with screwy families to actually make it a thing. Well, I can, I can assure you that there are, and I think you might actually be king of the tribe when we <laughs> hear your story today, because uh, it's a good one, I've got to say. That's going to make everyone, everyone's now going to have to listen till the end. I know, that's, so. that's, a, that's a clever little technique that I have. Yeah, it's very good. Oh, thank you. I'm thank you, listen. I want to find out what happened. <laughs> so listen, as, as I normally do, I just would love to start by just getting a little bit of background on, yeah. uh, on your mum and dad and your little family situation, you know, way back in the, the day okay. when you were just a youngster. Well, come and sit down, children. I'll tell you all a story. Um, I know I prefer, oh, hello, I didn't hear you come in. That's always a great start. Um, <laughs> now, my family um, were... On the surface, um, and, you know, to me, seemed very normal. Uh, as a mother and father, two children, my older sister, Kristen, and myself. And uh, she was two years older than me. And um, we were living in America, in uh, just out of Detroit. And my father got transferred to Australia. He worked for Ford as a designer, car designer. He got transferred to Australia. I think he got offered... South Africa or Australia, and he chose Australia. This was in the 70s, remember? Um, or late 60s, even. But uh, he chose Australia, and uh, they came out here. Now, I might add to this something that I realised later, and I didn't realise at the time, was that my parents were quite racist. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I didn't. I never really realised that. I mean, I, I'm sorry to you know say that about my mum, but um, they were just a bit, uh, maybe of their time is the way to put it, you know, but... Uh, they weren't comfortable, I don't think, around um, people of colour. We certainly didn't have any friends like that or anything. But, um, yeah, and I remember, I, I kind of think in hindsight that one of the reasons my father chose Australia was that he thought the, um, the Indigenous people had been beaten down and, you know, sort of contained enough for his liking, which is a horrible thing to think about, but I think that's kind of the truth. You wonder, you uh, wonder how uh, apartheid didn't appeal to him a bit more then? Well, I, I, I think maybe it sounded like too much of a live powder kit. You know, right, Africa, okay. You know, that it was actually an ongoing fight and that, you know, you might get hurt or I don't know. And it was a, bit more, it was a bit more subversive in Australia. Yeah, yeah. No, he certainly... His image of it, anyway, was certainly, you know, well, it's probably much like it is, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, that, that race of people have been beaten down. But, uh, look, I, having said all that, it could be untrue. No, I, I'm pretty sure that's the truth. But um, 
maybe not maybe not that much thought went into it, but I'm pretty sure that's true. And we were leaving Detroit, which in 1967, which is the year we left, had these riots where black people just they just had enough, and they like, fuck this, you know, and they rioted full on, you know, wanting equal pay and things like that. And, you know, I think my father just went, oh, no, you know, don't want to deal with this. So they, they left and they came to Australia. So, so he came here. So he worked for Ford, did he? He was a, he was a car designer. Yeah, yeah, he, um, he designed cars for Ford. I think he was um, partially responsible for the Capri. I don't know if you know the Ford Capri. I, I actually am a massive fan of the Ford Capri. Oh, really? Yes, oh, yes. It's one, uh, of my, it's one of my favourite cars. And uh, I, I, I had no idea he was a car designer. So he, so he had a little a bit, had a bit of a hand in the Capri. Yeah, and he, he, yeah in the, um, the LTD. <gasps> they made the first extended limo in Australia was the LTD and they made it. And they, the first ones they made out of just getting two falcons and chopping them in half and taking the middle section out and just welding it to the, to the other bits. Oh, no, I, I'm very familiar with that car. I've actually got a 19, <laughs> oh I've got a 1975 Ford LTD on my watch list at car sales at the moment. Oh, my God. I'm... You're like the son my father never had. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, oh, we were we were stolen from each other. That's very sad. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so so he got so he was he was he must have been quite successful then. If he, I think so. It's hard to say. I mean, it's really hard to tell because he was also he was also a big fantasist and uh, right. a bit of a, a bit of a liar. So it's always hard to tell what's real and what isn't. But he did have those jobs, and he was he was doing pretty well. And we were out here. And the other thing was Ford just paid for. Everything. Remember, that was at a time when, you know, being American was seen as highly exotic and romantic and all the rest of it. So he got uh, paid his wage, which I imagine was pretty big. And then every year we'd go overseas, we'd go around the world um, for free on Ford. Uh, I'm pretty sure they paid for our houses and uh, obviously cars. And it was just, uh, and school fees and stuff like that. We went to private schools and it was all just laid on by Ford, and uh, it's amazing how easily you get used to that stuff. Yeah, it sounds like a very kind of privileged childhood mm. in that respect. It really kind of was, but, uh, I mean, I guess one good thing about it in a way was that my father had not been privileged growing up at all. Yeah. So he was still kind of, you know, connected to the real world in, in, a, in a weird way. Yeah. So he, he had an awareness of it. And so how old were you when they emigrated? Uh, I was four. Four and a half, and um, I don't see it as being anything different than just part of America. Like I did, I didn't struggle with anything. I don't think. Um, maybe the accent a little bit yeah. initially, but um, I ended up just pretending. Like I ended up acting bizarrely because that's what I ended up doing for a living. But I, I ended up acting like an Australian and putting on an Australian accent. So well, you I do one that. very well now. I've got to say, <laughs> it comes. It's uh, it's actually natural now. <laughs> but uh, it it uh, came you know pretty easily. But I'd go home and speak in an American accent. Like my friends, if they ever heard me on the phone or saw me at home, this is even into my twenties. They'd be like, "What? What's going on? What's with the double accent?" Is that so, right? Yeah, absolutely. I still do it. When I'm with my sisters, I still slip into it, and they do too. Not full on, but a little bit. So you came out, you came out and yeah, uh, so you're about – you came out as a four-year-old. 
<laughs> oh, that's a, that's another story. Yeah, um, that's the whole story. Yeah, and uh, and and so you were about four four and a half or five. So yeah. that means that Kristen was about what seven. She was- Six, Six and a half, seven, yeah, going yeah. on seven. Right, okay. Yeah, and yeah. you moved to Melbourne to, I guess the the, the plants down in Broad was down in Broadmeadows, wasn't it? Yeah, but it was actually in Geelong. Geelong. So we moved to. We actually moved initially. Initially, we lived in Melbourne at the Southern Cross Hotel for about six months, which was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, imagine living in a hotel. Yeah, it's my dream. Still is to this day. I yeah. want to move back. Yeah. Anyway, lived there for six months and then finally found a place and it was in Ocean Grove. So we lived in Ocean Grove, which is much closer to Geelong than Melbourne is. And uh, we lived there for a while and we lived in another house there. Then we moved to Bowen Heads. This was all within the space of a year or two, you know, so it wasn't long stays anywhere. Yeah. Actually, one thing, that, uh, deviation, is um, on the plane on the way out here, my parents were in first class and they had us in economy. And um, my father met Lindsay Fox you know, Lindsay yeah. Fox, uh-huh. the millionaire guy. Yeah. And he um, he was talking to my father. And after about, I don't know, a few hours of talking to each other, Lindsay Fox put, reached in his pocket and pulled out these keys and said, oh, I've got a place down in Portsea. You can have that. You're joking. And like, no. And they, they didn't take it. But it just shows, you know, what a generous man he is. I mean, well, know, that's why also, I've never hated him. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, it also shows just the the the, the kind oh. of the circles you, you were yes. moving in. You know, your dad, Absolutely. you're flying first class, chatting to Lindsay yeah. Fox. Here you yeah. go, have the keys to my house. The thing that amazes me about that story more than anything is that they just met. Yeah, like, you know, and he'd made a characterist you know assumption and uh, and gone. Yeah, I can trust. I can trust this man. Yeah, and he turns out to be the most untrustworthy guy <laughs> in the universe. <laughs> Um, and yeah. describe to me how your parents' relationship seemed to you. Well, it uh, we ended up moving to Geelong, and we were there for maybe two years or something. But by then, I was aware that they were fighting a lot. And right. it wasn't just normal fighting. I mean, I didn't know what normal fighting was, but yeah. it wasn't just like a, a light argument. It was seriously, you know, screaming, mostly from my mother, at my father and him acting, you know, doing that typical male thing of acting like she's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, he, she, you know, he doesn't have any idea what she's talking about and she's mad and he's absolutely fine. What would they, and, fi- uh, what would, what would they fight about? Well, it turns out, uh, in hindsight, it was all about women. He was seeing other women. Right. And um, she, you know, I think she was in denial about it for a long time and then she finally couldn't be and she, you know, she had to sort of, you know, I had to bring it up. And um, he shagged so many people. It was out of control. He he fucked all of his, you know, everyone he met, basically, and all of his mates' wives, both our neighbours on either side. My God. Uh, so he's he's what we refer to as a root rat. Yeah, absolutely. He was la root rat. Um, and he just, you know, it was crazy. It wasn't like, you know, having an affair or two. It was... It was like the natural way to be for him. It wasn't the exception to the, it was the rule. Yeah, yeah. And was he a handsome rooster? Oh God, yes. Yeah, right. That's you know he was he was incredibly handsome. He was very charming, and he was American. Yeah. Being American doesn't mean much now. Yeah. In fact, it's probably a, it's probably a mark against you. But yeah. back then, it was like you know um, very glamorous. It was amazing. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, very glamorous. Well said. Yeah, yeah. So he had all this stuff going for him, and um, he just cut loose. Yeah, so it was always it was mostly about that. I think even if they were fighting about something else, it wasn't really about that thing. It was yeah. about that. You know. So looking back on it, then would you describe your time as so with all those things going on? Would you describe your childhood as happy? I think so. Had it kept going the way it was, I don't think I would have been particularly upset looking back on it. I don't think I would have gone, that was terrible. You know, I would have gone, well, you know, they had their faults and they fought a lot. My father was obviously unfaithful. But for me as a kid, it was pretty good. You know, yeah. it, was, it was a great life. Yeah, yeah. That's a really vivid picture, I think, of your life at that time. And also One the, thing the I will say in, in his defence or whatever was um, – I remember once <laughs> we were in Switzerland. I love a story that starts like that. <laughs> I remember once we were in Switzerland <clears throat> on a holiday that Ford paid for, and my father and mother were in bed. And my father jumped out of bed, ran through their bedroom, out through the lounge room, onto the balcony, and grabbed my sister as she was stepping off the balcony in her sleep. She, she was totally asleep and then climbed over the balcony and was just walking out into nowhere she would have died for sure and um he didn't even know what he was doing he literally just got up ran out there grabbed her like he hadn't heard anything he didn't know what was happening he didn't have a mental image of her doing that it's just like the weird um father you know like protector thing that that you know exists in in the pack i guess in wild in the wild yeah stuff like that yeah Yeah. right anyway that doesn't justify what he did (laughs) <laughs> no, but you know, that just goes to show there's light and shade to, to us all, Greg. And, yes. Um, yeah. So was he – did you connect with him as a dad when you were young? Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess not. I kind of felt like I did, but, you know, I think with everyone he met his whole life, there was a point he could get in and there was a point where this wall went up and he didn't even see it, but it would just kept him – had a you know pace distance from everyone else. So, yeah. yeah, probably not. Yeah, and also it may uh, that might be another thing which is just of the time as well. I guess back then, yeah, um, your dads and sons. It's not like they you know went out yeah. and spent a lot of time together. Well, uh, the other thing, and this might sound really meaningless to people, but it's only just occurred to me as we're talking, is that we didn't play sport together. Yeah, because all of the sports were Australian. So they were all things he hadn't grown up with. He didn't know how to do. So we didn't play cricket. We didn't play football. You know that sort of stuff. That was, you know, such an Aussie thing to do with your dad. We didn't do any of that. Yeah. He didn't. You know, and and I don't blame him at all. He didn't know about it. You know, it wasn't yeah. his thing. Yeah. But um, I don't know if that's relevant or not. But it just occurred to me. Yeah. Think, no, wow. it's interesting, isn't it? Because it is, like yeah. it's it's and it's back in the day where I guess you know there wasn't any basketball happening in australia there wasn't any ba- really. baseball happening in australia oh god no no baseball yeah really. so so in yeah. fact he bought me a, a softball and a softball glove and it got so little use because no one was into it you know yeah. I, I used to go around by myself chucking the ball and catching it but it was just kind of like peanuts this sad kid <laughs> but, uh, it was poor old charlie brown yeah oh. exactly oh, okay all right and so so tell us then you you turned thirteen, so you've you've reached your t- yep. teenage years. So that that can be quite tumultuous for for oh, any, uh, any young man. Me, it's a tumultuous year. Yeah, and so tell us about your your year as a thirteen year old. <laughs> um, now, people listening to this, uh, I know I sound flippant about what I'm about to say, but it's just because I'm used to it, and you know, and stuff like that. And it's been you know, it's been a long time, so don't 
don't think I'm a psycho. But uh, when I was 13, my mother, by this stage, we'd also had another child, a daughter. My mother had had a daughter, another one. And I think that was in an effort to keep the marriage together because it was falling apart. So they'd had this child eight years after their last child, and it was, you know, it was weird. But um, she's fantastic, you know, absolutely fantastic. And, you know, we, we all got along great. But it was just a strange thing for them to do. But um, one day, my, we, we all just packed up and moved to this friend's house, this friend of my mother and father, and we we're staying there. I was kind of like, what's going on? And then one day my mum came into the room where my sister and I were, my older sister, my baby sister was a baby, so it didn't make any difference. She came in and she told us, she said, look, your father is dead. He's, he's um, killed himself. And we were just like in shock. I remember there was an ad on the TV. We were watching TV and I immediately just turned around and started watching TV again, like a weird kid thing to do. Like I'm watching TV that's, you know, that's not affecting me, what you just said. There was an, an ad for rice bubbles and it went snap, crackle, pop. And we're like, snap, sticks go snap, you know, did a crackle. No, fires go crackle. And then it went pop. And it went, everybody's got a pop. And I just thought, I don't. And that was it. He's, uh, he's committed suicide and, you know, on with life you go. And it was literally like that. We didn't miss school or anything. I mean, I think my mum gave us the option to, but we just wanted to go on with normal life. So we just kept doing what we do. And, um, and, she, uh, told, and she, she told it to you that bluntly? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was, oh, well, I think she might have said he's gone. Yeah. And then we were like, what do you mean gone? You know, like typical kids, you know. Yeah. And, uh, she she told us, but um, did your mum or did you ask how he'd killed himself? Yeah, um, it turns out that he had uh, he'd drowned he'd drowned himself. He'd left a note for his solicitor. He'd left a car his car on the pier, and uh, and that was it. And he'd also left a, left something for me at home at the family home. He'd left an air rifle and a note saying, "Like Greg, I always protect the family," and I'm like. With an air rifle. I'm like, yeah, great. If the families ever attacked by a pack of starlings, they're going down, <laughs> you know. It's, uh, you know, one at a time, obviously, but they are going down. But, um, that was that. I thought, God, what a weird thing to do. Leave a gun for your child. Yeah. You just, just, uh, well, he's American, I guess, you know. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Death is death. So, but, um, and, and, and was that, I mean, it seems like a stupid question, so forgive me, but was that like <sighs> devastating for... For, for you for you for you and uh, Kristen in particular I remember it being kind of uh, sort of this existential kind of malaise I, I just remember being it's kind of it was almost like it exhausted me like I'd be walking around with the air rifle at that friend's of my mother and father's place um, trying to shoot birds half-heartedly just shooting it up in the sky. I just remember walking around feeling what I imagine in hindsight was depression. Yeah. I don't remember crying about it. If I did cry about it, it was probably more selfish. Like I was thinking, you know, how's this going to affect me rather than legitimately crying for him? Yeah, for the loss. Yeah, the loss, yeah. Of, the loss of everything that went with your dad as opposed to your dad himself. Yeah. yeah. One big thing to note is that there was a massive change in lifestyle because yeah. we went from having everything to literally not having nothing but close. You know, we were 
just broke. So all of those things that I'd grown up taking for granted, like, you know, travel and houses and cars and everything, that was all gone. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I was aware of the fact that every, you know, that of how deep that was going to go, of how everything is gone. I mean, my mum ended up, she went from being, you know, being born into a super wealthy family and being living this lifestyle on the Ford dollar and everything to um, uh, at one stage working in the local fish and chip shop in Torquay where we were living and, you know, all the people that she knew, you know, would come in there once or twice a week to get fish and chips and, you know, she had to just cop it. And, you know, in in a lot of those cases in the 70s, um, if your marriage went south, people just dropped you. But that's you know? very sad, isn't it? Because, like, there oh, she, yeah. here she is on the other side of the world now with three yeah. kids, no yeah. family support. No. And no. just left to her own devices. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I... I I'm furious at her family because they had the money to, you know, to have helped her out, and they just didn't. Yeah. Um, Do you know if there was any any time where she thought of just packing up and going back to the states with you all? I think I think so. I think there was a lot of times, and I think also there was a period where that was on the table as an offer. Was you know we will help you financially if you come back. Yeah. And she just stuck it out and said no. You know I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. Um. She she said no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going back. You know, I don't want to stay here. She loved Australia. She actually became an Australian citizen. She must have loved the place to actually you know put herself yeah. through that. Yeah. Oh, that's incredibly sad. And yeah. so she got a job in the fish and chip shop, and yeah. life just went on. Yeah, just carried on, and um, then one day, one day this strange thing happened. This friend of my parents. Sorry for just snorting in the middle of that. <laughs> Um, one day, this, this friend of my parents went into this real estate agency in Frankston, and the real one of the real estate agents, not even the one he was dealing with, he looked over at this real estate agent and went, that's Bill Fleet, who was dead, right? So my dead father is working at a real estate agency in Frankston. Now, I know that working at a real estate agency in Frankston is like being dead, (laughs) but it's not exactly the same. So he went and told my mother about this, and my mother ended up walking in there and just springing on him, just going, Bill. And he was like, I think he even tried denying it at first. He said, no, no, you know. And then he just collapsed and said yes. And it turns out that he had—he was not dead. He'd faked his own death and he'd just racked off and you know gone all around the world. Not—not not that he had money, but gone around the world working and you know gone back to America and ended up coming back here. And uh, he'd met another woman in Queensland, uh, and he was going under the name Bill Lee. So he wasn't even using his real name. He met this woman and married her under a false name and they had a child who um, who I still communicate with to this day. But um, it was absolutely bizarre. He'd married this other woman, had children under a false name, lived this false life. And when my mother sprung him, he must have realised that he was going to be in a lot of trouble legally with her, but not so much with the other woman because it wasn't actually him. You know, the person doesn't <laughs> exist. So he... He literally he went back to my mother, and I can't believe my mother accepted this. What? But yeah, he dropped the new family, just like the way he dropped us. And uh, 
came back to my mother. Okay, I great. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to interrupt you there because <laughs> yeah, please, there, there, is, there, there is a bit to, to actually sort of like digest. So, oh, yeah. so for people not familiar with the geography, right, <laughs> so how far away was Frankston from where you guys were actually living? Not, not very far and clearly not far enough. <laughs> um, it was, you know, it, it was probably, uh, you know, an hour away, three quarters of an hour away drive. Um, just ridiculous, really. Why on earth, if you would go to all that trouble of faking your own death, oh, would you then come back to an hour of where yeah. you faked your own death from? Uh, I don't know. I, I know that uh, her, the woman who he'd, um, he'd married, who's a, you know, is a lovely person, her father owned the real estate company. Right. So, you know, he probably just offered him a, a job. job and my father thought, well, fuck, I've got to take it. Yeah. I can't say no. You know, maybe after then after a couple of weeks, he probably thought, oh, you know, it's fine. I've no got away with it. No. I've got away yeah. with it. Yeah. And the person who sprung him, the family friend who recognised him, do you know yeah. whether he um, confronted him or did he just no, he didn't. sneak out he didn't and go and dob him in? My father didn't even see the guy. Right. Like he, he went in and went out without being, you know, without my father recognising him. So when my mother walked in, it was, you know, doubly, doubly as confronting because <laughs> it wasn't like he'd prepared, prepared. for it. That's, that's a really, really tricky conversation to have. Yeah, but, you know, and what, what wh- gets me, though, is that she, she took him back. That's, that's the astounding bit for me. And that, why you know, do you think she did that? Oh, I reckon it's for a number of reasons. I think there's probably a lot of ego involved. Um, you know, didn't want to be, you know, didn't want to be the loser as such. Um, the, I mean, the other thing that's sort of tragic is that I think she was just in love with him. Right. Which is just crazy, you know, but that's what love is, I guess. You know, she just, she, you know, she would deny that. You know, she would deny that to this day. She'd go, no, 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 you know, but... She um, she just was. I remember a few years ago, my partner and I went down to visit my mother in Geelong and we were going back to Melbourne and my partner said, hey, what do you think your, your mother thinks of your dad? And I said, oh, she hates him, you know. She's always going on about him, you know, and how much she can't stand him and all the bad things he did and blah, blah, blah. And my partner said, oh, I think she's still in love with him. And I went, what? Are you kidding me? It's been like, you know, 30 years. Like, there's no way. And he said, well, oh, she said, sorry. He said, I'm just trying to make, the, make myself sound more exotic to the audience. Um, she said, there's a photo of him on her bedside table and there's this and there's that. And I suddenly went, oh, my God, she's absolutely right. Yeah. Yes, she is always going on about him, you know, being an asshole, but she's always going on about him. Yeah. Like, you know, the point is she's talking about him. And I thought, God, and the tragic thing is I thought if he – walked in the door now or rang up and said, look, you know, I've made a big mistake. I'm still in love with you. I want to get back together. I reckon she'd do it. She'd take him back. Yeah, which is just heartbreaking. Uh, Yeah, it is, but yeah. Yeah. But also kind of beautiful in its own way, but... Oh, look, absolutely. It it means that love is real. Yeah, but it's it's mental. It's that love isn't always... Positive, you know? always good, yeah. And yeah. okay, so 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 she confronts him. He eventually fesses up. Says, "Yeah, yeah I've I've been in Queensland where I've got <laughs> a new name and a new wife." And a... I've been in Queensland and South Africa working as a mercenary and America and all these. It's hard to know what's real. It, what yeah, by this stage, she must yeah. be thinking, "God yeah. knows what's the truth." 
He was a he had been a Green Beret in the American Army. Green Berets are like the SAS here. Yeah. So he had done that early on. But he'd he quit when Vietnam came up when he realised he'd have to go to war. Yeah, yeah, smart man. He actually faked a faked a mental breakdown and got out of it. Turns oh, so he, he had he had form in this in this regard. Yeah. Well, he'd been married once before. Right. And what he did was he decided he wanted out of that marriage. And um, so he introduced the woman who he was married to to one of his mates. And then he just started ignoring the wife and never going home and stuff. And then she was spending more and more time with his mate, you know, going, you know, where's Bill? What's going on? I don't understand this. And because Bill was his good friend, you know, he was offering advice and stuff like that. But of course, eventually, they spent enough time together where they, you know, they were finding each other attractive. And he was kissing her one day on the on the front porch, kissing her goodbye or whatever. And my father appeared out of the bushes, out of nowhere, and like punched his mate and said, "Oh, this is terrible. I'm getting. I want a divorce." And so he got a divorce on the grounds that she was immoral. <laughs> Mm. He he played a long game with that one. Oh, absolutely! But he, but he orchestrated it. Wow! Yeah, he's phenomenal. Wow, that that is phenomenal. I mean, you've got to have some respect for that ability, don't you reckon, Greg? Absolutely, there is something slightly admirable about it. I mean, it's hideous, but I would not be at all surprised if someone listening to this had had a relationship with my father. Yeah, or had some kind of sexual, you know, encounter. Liaison. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> That's incredible. Okay, so your mum takes him back. His poor Mrs. Lee must have been yeah. devastated. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because she wouldn't have known what was going on. You know? She would have been like, what is this? And then when she was told the whole story, yeah, part of her must have been going, well, that's fair enough. You know, that, that she, of course that woman's behaving like that. Or, you know, she would have been like, no, no, you know, fuck her. You know, he's my man. But at the same time, she would have been going, no, I understand. So it was very difficult for I her. I just wonder at the same time whether she'd be going, well, maybe you can have him. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if she was as, as enamoured with him as um, as your mum. Probably not. Yeah. But um, I always felt, I felt for her son, Jacob, I felt for him because, you know, he'd grown up. He then grew up with just stories about his dad. And, yeah, know, yeah, you know, and his other family, yeah. Yeah. Right, okay, so he comes back home. So now he's been gone, what, three years? Three years, yeah. Yeah, so he comes back home and he, you know, he sort of tries just being normal. And, of course, I'm like, you know, he tells me to do things and I'm like, I'm not doing that, you know, like, you know, what gives you the right to order me around all of a sudden? You know, the typical teenage boy stuff with a, an absent father. Yeah. And um, he, he hung around for a while and, he, you know, he, he had no money, he had no career, he had no job. Was it, em- got- was it embarrassing for, for you guys uh, and for your mum that, like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, dad who died? Yeah, absolutely, because I, I told everyone he was dead. Yeah. And, you know, that was hard enough, you know, to get through that. And, you know, what kids are like, it was like, you know, you say your father's dead, they, they see that as ammunition. Like, yeah. yeah. You've got a dead father. Yeah, yeah. So it was hard enough to get through that. And then having to go, oh, hang on, no, he's not. He was just, you know, he just didn't give a shit about us and fucked off. <laughs> you know, so that was difficult. You just think about the energy it must have taken him. Oh, a phenomenal amount, you know, and... um yeah, just to live that lie, to, to just, you know, pretend. It's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. And then pretty much after about a couple of years of being back, well, not even a couple of years, like a year or something, 
he kind of did the same thing. He he didn't fake his death again. No, he didn't fake his death. <laughs> he he um, yeah yeah God that was uh, pushing it a bit. But he um, drove me to the train station. I was at that stage that John Grammer there's a year in the bush. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He's spending years studying in the bush. Is that, is that so, that's where Prince Charles went, isn't it? Timber is yeah, it Timbertop yeah. or what? Is it? Yeah, Timbertop. Yeah, right, yeah, Prince Charles went there. But you know they, they always say, oh, you know. The school always says, oh, Prince Charles went here. But the thing was, you know, he was like, I don't know, he was like 18 when he went there and all the kids were like 13. So <laughs> it wasn't like he was on this, you know, level playing field at all. <laughs> he must have been yeah. kept back a few years. <laughs> yeah, and he had bodyguards and stuff there with him. You know. <laughs> right, right. But, um, but he was dropping me off at the train station so I could go up there. And, uh, you know, when he, as he dropped me off, he was asking me way too many questions. And he had also on the train, he'd given me, he gave me cigarettes, you know, which is very unlikely, you know, for a father to do that for a son. And, you know, and he was asking me all these questions. And he seemed really interested in my life. And he was being really affectionate towards me. And, you know, when I said goodbye to him at the station, he was, uh, you know, he was very affectionate, you know, told me that he loved me and was hugging me and stuff like that. And I was kind of like, Dad, you know, don't be a creep. What's going on? And, um, he was obviously doing that because he was about to disappear again. Again. And he did. He disappeared again, but no hint of suicide this time. We wouldn't have believed it for yeah. a start. Yeah. And then, you know, after a little while, he got in touch with my mother and they communicated. He actually then came back again. He hung around for a little while and uh, eventually he left again. This time he was upfront about it. He was like, so he's actually been developing as a human. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going. And everyone was like, well done. Well done, old chap. <laughs> And so he left, and, uh, yeah, and that was it. That was the last time anyone saw him. Well, the last time we saw him, he went back to America. And, um, you know, we've communicated with him uh, a little bit, or some of us have. My my mother obviously doesn't. Well, I don't know, or, you know, didn't. But uh, and, 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 and tell me, so is, is, is he still alive? No. This is the, the interesting thing is my mother and father, they were the same age. They yeah. were born in 1936. And... Um, I think my mother's dream, you know, one of her dreams towards the end was just simply to outlive him. Yeah. And he'd had a couple of strokes and heart attacks and stuff like that in America and she'd been made aware of it. Then one day, my mother wasn't well either. She was in a home, in, you know, like an old people's home in Geelong. And I was going down there with my daughter one day to visit her. And we got a call just as we are leaving saying, look, don't bother, she's she's passed away in the night so my mother had died and uh she hadn't outlived my father which would have been her last thought would have been like ah oh, damn it curses and, yeah um, so but then a few months later he died as well so right. it was all it was all like i became an orphan very quickly yeah like, snap, snap, gone. yeah well look in a way she she outlived him uh first time around in in, in his first death she yes. just didn't make yes. it to, just didn't make it to the second that's a good way of thinking. Yeah, yeah. and th- so when he died, I mean, I'm very sorry that that, that happened in such quick succession. No, no. But when you reflected on that, was that kind of funny? Did it take you back to when he'd faked his death, and did you have doubts that, oh, that maybe he's done it again? Well, or that is that is a funny thing. Is that you know, I was telling a friend of mine about. It. I was telling Lawrence Mooney, who's a friend of mine and a great comedian, about it, and um, it hadn't crossed my mind. But I said to Lawrence, I said, "Oh, you know, by the way, my my father." died the other day there was this pause and then Lawrence said are you sure and I was like <laughs> god no I'm actually not you know so 
that was kind of funny. But, um, <laughs> that is kind of funny. Did you oh, go? So, did you go to the funeral? No. Uh, See, I think I would have had to just to make sure that there was a corpse in there. Absolutely, but you know, it could have been an empty coffin, and yeah. I wouldn't have known. Yeah. So, yeah. but um, weirdly, I've I've kind of formed a relationship, you know, a friendship with his wife. Right. Right. His, so his, his his last wife. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. We communicate with her a little bit, and um, we try, you know, through each other, we we work out what was real and what wasn't. Because yeah. he told her a lot of lies. Yeah, I was going to say, did, did, how much of his background was she actually aware of? Uh, I think by the end she was pretty aware of it all. Although he would have always denied certain things, and he would have tried to paint my mother as the, you know, as this sort of witch who you know drove him away, yeah, against his will and stuff. So it's hard to say, but. Um, he, you know, she was not when, when, you know, when she was talking, communicating with me, and I said he did this and this and this. She wasn't at all surprised. So yeah, yeah. She obviously knew that he had that capacity. And yeah. you, we, did you bring her up to speed on his faux death back in the seventies? Oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. She, I think she actually knew, kind of knew about that by then. I don't know how. Maybe through my mother or something. I don't know. But um, she sent me an email about, you know, about her life and about him and stuff, and. The way she described his death was so bizarre. In what way? Like, why, why? How? Oh, she just. She, it was just very perfunctory, and and um, she talked about him falling, you know, having a stroke and falling off this balcony and landing on his face in this flower bed, and he, even just putting landing on his face and yeah. stuff like that. I was like, you're obviously kind of not that enamoured with this man by the end, you know. Yeah. She was. She was like a real. I think it was a relief to her. Wow! What an amazing character. You know, <laughs> he really was. From an outsider's point of view, it's such a wonderful story, and I, I really love it so much. And unfortunately, I can't help but romanticise your father's character. And well, that's what I did. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And just think, you know, life is full of a lot of beige, and yep. Uh, yep. he certainly didn't give you that. No, no, and you know, like that's why I think that's why I, I've never hated him. You know, I, I'm. Probably the only member of the family that's never. Um, I know my younger sister was kind of the same. I think my older sister kind of hated him because she was much more in touch with my mother and she saw how it affected her and probably saw how it affected us. Yeah. You know, but, um, you know, I, I never hated him. And, and I think that's probably why is that I, I can understand. I can understand waking up one day and looking around and going, I've got to get out. This is not my life. I've got to leave. You know, it's not a good thing to do, but I can understand how someone would do that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Look, it's it's so great, and I think you know part of what I like about my fucked up family is we do look back on these fucked up incidences, and you can actually see some sort of positive side to them. And yeah. I mean, clearly, yeah. the path that you've taken in life, and um, you know, being a comedian and a writer and an actor, yeah has been inspired by that fucked upness. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Anyway, you live and learn. Hey, Greg, uh, it's been yeah. so fantastic talking to you, mate. It, oh, it's been lovely talking to you. And during the interview, there's a point where I went, oh, I've never thought of this before. <clears throat> that, to me, is a sign of a great interview, you know, because, you know, you, the person asks you a question which makes you think about something you've never thought about before and they seem to know more about your life than you do so i am um, oh that's a, that's a that's a very very flattering thing to say and uh, and i'll take it's it true. thank you very much you're a charmer just like just like your old man ah, yes 
exactly. I've learned something from my father. <laughs> hey, Greg, well, listen, mate, I really appreciate that. Well told. No, thank you. A, a beautiful That's story, great. well told. Thanks, my friend. That was really, it was really good. I hope you enjoyed this episode of My Fucked Up Family enough to subscribe, share or like. And remember, if you have your own fucked up family story you'd like to share, contact us through our Facebook page.